Hello, uh, my name is Jake, Jake Basom. Hello. <laughs> uh, I was born and raised here at Northview, and I'm going to be reading today's scripture. Um, we'll be in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 through 2. Um, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, welcome, glad you could join us. Uh, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I, I'm stoked. We're, we're going to be finishing up the letter of Ephesians today. And I want to read just that passage one more time as, as we, we kick off this morning. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We're coming back to this, but today we're wrapping up our study on Ephesians. Um, and, and in my opinion, that passage that we just read really sums up really the, the entirety of this letter of why Paul is writing it. That Christ has given his life for us, and now we must follow his example and sacrificially love one another. And this is the message that I've been speaking week after week after week over the last six months as we've gone through here. That we must follow his example, that we, we must increasingly walk in the way of Jesus to experience and, and increasingly live in love like him. And, and some of you may be saying that feeling that we, we've, the last six months, been like a snail pace of going through this letter, and you're like, finally something new, we can get out of this letter, and I get it. But uh, to me, we've gone way too fast, and uh, I've been seriously considering whether next week we just start over again in chapter 1, verse 1. Um, no, I won't do that to you. Um, but uh, I look forward to however long it takes that I get to go back and do this one again. Um, to me, the last six months have gone way too quick. But there's a reason this, this letter matters, I mean, all the scripture, but specifically this letter has had such an impact upon me, and I want to give a little bit of my story in that regard, and that this message that we are called to follow Jesus, his example, and that we are called to sacrificially love one another the way that Christ has loved us. It's a central message all throughout the New Testament, and that Jesus came not just so that we could go to heaven when we die, but that we would begin to experience the, the reality of his this eternal kind of life that he came for here and now, not just then and there, but here and now we begin to experience that. That we are all called as, as dearly loved children of God to experience his love, to, to become one in Christ, and then to increasingly become more and more like Jesus for the sake of the world. And, and this message has been kind of the central message of, of my life. And, and the reason for that is, I've shared bits of the story before, but when I, when I was young, when I was 17, I left America and, and became a missionary. And and in that time, over the last 25 years or so when I was a missionary, I, I got to see God do a lot of crazy stuff, and I got to take part in a lot of crazy things. I was dead set on being the best soldier for Jesus that I could possibly be. I'd go anywhere and do anything for the Lord, and, and God blessed it. And during those years of being on the mission field, I mean, again, my, most of my entire life, I, I had the privilege to see so many people come to Christ. I, I had the privilege of seeing so many people freed from demonic oppression and demonic attacks. I had the privilege of, 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 of being part of training literally thousands of pastors in the remote parts, parts of the globe, all over Africa and Asia. And, and I got to see God do so many incredible miracles of seeing blind see and seeing the deaf hear and the mute speak as God just works in the most incredible, miraculous ways. And it was amazing. It, it was my life mission to serve God. I genuinely saw myself as a soldier, and, and I was there to win as many souls as I possibly could for the Lord. 
And I, and I didn't care how much I had to sacrifice. I've shared before, I mean, I, I was completely convinced that I would be martyred as a result of my work because of the amount of time I spent in, in war zones and all these dangerous places that I was traveling all the time. And to me, it didn't matter. I just wanted to make as big of a splash as I could for the Lord. It was an honor. I mean, I loved being praised, to be honest. I loved the praise of being called like, you know, an uber missionary and other people and giving the praise of giving places to let people let me speak all the time and do things. And I fed on it. Until one day, I was about 11 years ago, I was doing, um, I had just begun a, 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 a master's program in spiritual formation, which is basically means in leadership and spiritual age, basically how to become more like Jesus, a master's degree on it. And in and, and one of those first cohorts, we were singing a song in the time about, you know, Jesus, in your presence is where I want to be. I forget which, exactly which song it was. And over and over again, the chorus repeated that over and over and over again, just kept saying, in your presence is where I want to be. There's no better place than in your presence right now. And as I was singing that song, the words to the song, all of a sudden I realized that it wasn't true. I actually didn't believe that. I, in fact, had, had, had no interest in being in God's presence. In fact, I was uncomfortable there. I didn't want to be there. I realized as I started, as the song was singing, I just kind of, some pride just rose in my heart, and I realized I'm not one of these namby-pamby Christians. I'm not one of these touchy-feely types that just needs to feel God's love or something like that. I didn't need God to tell me how much he loved me. I knew it was true. It's written right there in Scripture. I was a Bible teacher. I didn't need to tell him how much I loved him. I would show it with my actions. I was a soldier for Christ, and I just wanted to be out there in the battle. As we were sitting there singing this song, I realized, I don't want to be here. I want to be out seeing people come to Christ. That, to me, was the ultimate goal. That was the calling. And I was happy about it. And I'll never forget they're sitting there singing that song during that worship service and feeling that pride that, that, that I don't need to sit with Jesus. I don't need to sing these kinds of songs. What I need to do is be out there serving him. In fact, I was ready to quit my master's degree at that moment that I just started because I said, why am I going to waste years and countless hours studying how to become more like Jesus when I could be out there leading people to Jesus? What a waste of my time. And then one day I felt the Lord so clearly speak to me and tell me that he did not call me to be a soldier, but to be a son. And over the coming weeks and months, my world just kind of began to fall apart. There's so many things that happened, but I started to recognize how empty I was. That I had devoted my entire life to studying and teaching the Bible. And that's what I was known for. And, and the studying the very words of Jesus and telling people about Scripture and the words of Jesus. Yet, I barely knew this person named Jesus. I avoided spending time with him. And I, and I looked nothing like him. I somehow had turned the life-giving reality that we have of life in Christ and the gospel of his freedom and hope and life, I had turned all of that into like a transaction, into a system of beliefs. And it was only about how to get people from going from the bad place to get them going to the good place. And, and that was what I cared about. I, I was in love with ministry. I wasn't in love with Jesus. I, I was passionate about studying the Bible. I was passionate about telling people about Jesus but not actually passionate about Jesus himself. I was addicted to ministry. It was a high that I lived on all the time of seeing people come to Christ, of, of seeing God do miracles, of, of chasing that, that, that anointing, whatever that means. And my faith was built upon believing the right things. I, I was doing so much stuff, but I did not have any kind of fellowship with Jesus. I did not experience his life. 
and my life did not reflect his life to the world. And as I began to recognize how insanely healthy I was, I, I began, began beginning to pursue him as a friend, as my Lord. And, and maybe that sounds weird as a missionary and a, and a seasoned Bible teacher of over 14 years to say I began to pursue Jesus at that point, but that's really what happened. It's the truth. I, I started spending a lot of time in the Gospels, just getting to know Jesus over again. I spent a lot of time reading and learning from those who have gone before me, whose lives reflected just a, a beautiful relationship with Jesus, whose lives just exuded his spirit and life and love to the world in profound ways. And I started spending a lot of time with the Apostle Paul, reading his letters and learning what does it look like to live a life in Christ. And even though I had studied the letter of Ephesians many, many, many times, I mean hundreds and hundreds of hours, and I had taught it in Bible schools all across the globe, Coming back to it again after that, it was like a fresh text that I had never read before. Where previously, when I read this letter of Ephesians, it was primarily to me a, a, a letter of theology. And as I read it, I, I'd focus primarily on the theological aspects of it, of, of the soteriology and the Christology, meaning the, the how are we saved and the who is Christ and his nature and all the rest of it. Or I'd focus upon all the things that Christ has given us so I could teach them to others about our position in Christ and spiritual warfare and headship and marriage and slavery. And, and all, all those things are good and, and they're definitely in that letter and it speaks to all those things. But when I came back to it again, after the Lord began putting me on a journey to just, not just being a soldier, but being a child of God, and I began looking at the letter as through the eyes of a child of God, not just as a Bible teacher, I began to see that Paul's focus is on so much more than just how we are saved, but so much of it is on who we are becoming. It's a constant focus on who we are becoming, the kinds of people that God is trying to raise in this world, and the way he loves us and calls us to love others. And that as a body, we aren't just supposed to know truth, but we are to embody his truth, to live it out, as we talked about a couple months ago, truthing and love, that we're to actually become more like Jesus. And for me, that was a radical concept. And I know all of us have our own stories, and yours might be different than mine, but maybe some of you can relate to that, of, of, of having a primarily a kind of a head-centered understanding of your Christian faith content primarily to believe what is true and even to do a lot of stuff for Christ while missing out on actually knowing Jesus as a friend and experiencing his life. Before you kind of acknowledging that as a Christian that I'm not actually reflecting Jesus to the world very well. And it's why I love this letter of Ephesians so much because Ephesians sets up the first half of, of sharing all that Christ has done for us. That's amazing. But then almost every verse in the second half of the letter is speaking with one challenge after another to no longer be conformed to the world, but actually be conformed by Christ. And Paul keeps holding up this example of Jesus on every verse of this letter, holding up this picture of Jesus in all areas of life. And he's calling the church of Ephesus to increasing live and love more like Jesus did. And so as we wrap up this letter, I want us to call our attention back to the primary points that Paul makes, because to me, this letter is amazing. It's impossible to summarize it very well, but there's a few things I really want to emphasize we do, because as we've seen, as we've been going through this letter, the Ephesian church, they were in turmoil. It was a very young church that is deeply wrestling with division, fear, and confusion, and, and the Jewish believers, the Gentile believers, remember, they, they couldn't stand each other. They, they hated each other. They were at each other's throats, and, and they have no interest in being together. 
And during this time that the Gentile churches and the Jew or the Gentiles and the Jews would rather have separate churches of their own. They did not want to worship in any way. They wanted only to, to be with people who talked like them, who would agree with them, who thought like them, who shared a similar worldview, who would worship like them. They wanted to hang out only with people who sinned like them in the same ways and, and struggled with the same things. And that was with a situation that Paul was writing to, not just turmoil, but there was also fear and confusion because they were living in an area of incredible demonic realities. As we're going back, way back to September, talking about the amount of spiritual forces that we saw in the book of Acts chapter 19 that they were dealing with, of demonic attacks that weren't just some weird idea of, wow, I think there's demons out there, but it was actually real in their life. Love it in South Africa. I had a dear friend of mine who lives in the area where there's just charged spiritual environments. We'd sometimes get Westerners who would come in and say, you know, I don't believe in demons. And my buddy who's a pastor, he said, you don't? Well, come with me on Sunday and I'll introduce you to some. Uh, because <laughs> you, can't, you can't deny it in certain parts of the globe, in certain places we go. And, <laughs> and sure enough, you go and wow, okay, I thought they weren't real. I guess they are. Um, and, uh, but Paul was was emphasizing to them all, 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 all these things that were, were going on, and the church was deeply wrestling with these realities. And so Paul hits a few primary points as he goes through this letter, and I, I just want to, there's so many to hit, but the ones that I think are kind of the core ones, the first half he hits at first is, is what Christ has done and who they are in Christ, and that, that really is the first few chapters of the letter that, that we've unpacked for the first few months of the teaching. And number two is the whole middle section from part of chapter three and much of chapter four. And, and beyond that is the unity of the body as he's going to hammer again and again and again. And he's going to use the language that Christ has brought near those who are far, right? The Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles are those who are far away and the Jews were those who were near. Uh, the, the Jews were the pious Jews that had been serving God their entire lives of culture and were very conservative and legalistic. And the Gentiles were those who had grown up with this terrible sex ethic involved in prostitution and involved in, in crazy forms of demonic worship and cultic practices and were so worldly the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. And these two groups hated each other. And Paul said, those who are far and those who are near are now one in Christ. And lastly, he says, not lastly, but the primary message of the second half is living and loving like Jesus, right? That they must follow Jesus' example of sacrificial love. They have to walk in truth, to, to walk in, in worthy of, of, of the gospel and the calling. They must be truthing in love, as we've talked about. They need to be filled with the Spirit and live in love like Jesus in all areas of life. And that means, as Paul's going to spend time looking at in areas where they're in sin, they need to deal with the anger and the lust in their heart and the covetousness and the greed that's, in, that's within them. They need to address their marriages and their families. And, and even he applies it regarding slaves. He hits all these different areas. And so with the last message of the series, I want to go back and highlight some of these primary takeaways. And, and so the first one is what has Christ done for us and this calling or, or that what Christ has done in bringing us near. Paul says in Ephesians that Christ has adopted us into his family. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says this, In love, Jesus, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Jesus adopted us into his family. As Jesus says in John, he puts it this way, John chapter 1, he says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God, to adopt them into his family. Whereas it says in John 17, 23, Jesus says this, he's talking to the Father, he says, Father, you love them, that's us, when it's literally that passage referring to all future believers. And he says, Jesus, Father, you love all of them, that's us, just as much, he says, as you, Father, love me. And do we really believe that? That that is how much the Father loves us. The, the great Tim Keller, who, who sadly passed away just a couple days ago, 
um, he said this about this verse. He says, I know barely anyone actually believes what Paul says. He says, because if it's true, Keller says, imagine this. He says, imagine the welcome that the father gave to Jesus when his son comes back from having died on the cross. Imagine the welcome of having, after having been tortured and having accomplished this great work on the cross and, and dying and rising from the dead. Imagine how the father welcomed him back into his presence. Imagine how wide the father's arms were, he says. Imagine the power, the tidal wave of love that must just have surged out of the father's heart into the center of Jesus' soul. He says, imagine that. I mean, can you picture it? Can you, you picture the greatest love, the greatest pride of any father could ever imagine to have over a son? Imagine that amount of love pouring from the father. More love than we could ever comprehend. And why am I saying to imagine that? Because what adoption says is it means that God's love for us is no less than it is for Jesus. And that's a fact. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that the, the love of the Father and Jesus for us is that great? Keller has a great line regarding this that he says, when I talk about this, I feel like a, a bottle with a cork in it. Like when I talk about how much the Father loves us, it, it's impossible to express with words how amazing that is. That God has adopted us as his children. We are one with Christ we are one another together in Christ. We dwell with him. And his love for us is as much as it is for Jesus' own son. The same joy. The same delight. Do we believe that? If you don't know him, it's true. But most likely we don't believe it. Because if we did, we'd probably live differently. Especially when things are tough. When life gets painful and it feels hopeless, we would turn to this God if we actually believed that. Instead, what do we turn to when, when things look bleak? We turn to coping mechanisms. We numb our brains with social media or we turn to sexual gratification or to alcohol or porn or marijuana or binging Netflix. Or we turn to fear and self-pity of saying, you know, I'm worthless or I'm hopeless. We or we just bury ourselves in our work to stay busy because we don't actually believe he's that good. But this is more real than any of those things that we turn to, the love of the Father and Jesus for us, that the God of creation adopted us into his family, that God created us for relationship with himself, and that he redeemed us to restore us to that place of beauty and fellowship with him. Jesus says that the Father loves us just as much as he loves Jesus, that we do not need to fear because this God is for us. Amen? That's the message of the first half. The incredible love of the Father for us. And our position that we are now in Christ. And for some reason, I spent most of my entire life, even as a missionary, trying just to please this God and to earn his favor, rather than actually spending time with him. It's so dumb. I spent most of my time trying to unpack the theology of his love, rather than actually dwelling in his love. I spent more time trying to be an expert on the life of Jesus as a Bible teacher than I did actually trying to reflect his life and live the way he lived. But this is the God who wants relationship with us. Amen? And if you can identify it all with what I'm sharing here, I just want to encourage you that there is so much more available to us in Christ. 
One of the books that was really pivotal in my journey in the beginning days was a book by Sky Jatani called With. I can't recommend it enough. Um, he just nails it on the head of, of my experience of trying to work for God and earn his favor rather than enjoying time with him. I, hi, quick read, I'd highly recommend it. Okay, so Paul begins the first entire half of this letter just by hammering home again and again the reality of what Christ has done, his love for us and who we are now in Christ, that we are not soldiers, but we are children of God. That nothing that we could ever do could earn our salvation, but that Christ has brought us near because of his love for us. And regardless of where we're at, we are now one in Christ. We are part of his family. And then Paul is going to drill into the unity of the body for the next middle section of the letter. And that's the second point I want to highlight, and he calls us to Christian unity. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, listen to this, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Notice all these ones. There was one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Remember, he's, he's speaking to the Ephesian church that was in complete division. Literally, they wouldn't talk to each other. They hated each other, the Jews and the Gentiles. But he says they are one in Christ. And how does that work? Well, earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, he explains it. He says in verse 14, chapter 2, he says, For Jesus himself has brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, when Jesus died, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility that separated us. Jesus made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these two groups that hated each other and had nothing in common. 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross. That when he died, he brought it all together. And he says, our hostility toward each other was put to death, which is true in the, in the ultimate sense, but obviously was not being lived out in their, in their presence. 17, he brought this good news of peace. He says, to you Gentiles who were far away, and peace to you Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So in Jesus, those who were far away and those who are near are brought together as one body and it cannot be pulled apart. And he hammers it home again and again and again that we as the body of Christ are called to be one body. Jews and Gentiles, slaves and masters, men and women, young and old. And Paul uses again that language that those who were near, meaning the Jews, those who had grown up in traditional ways, who were pious and following him their whole lives and came out from Jewish happy Christian families, you could say. And, and, and he speaks to those who are far away, meaning the Gentiles, who only recently heard the idea of Christ and, and didn't grow up with those traditions and whose lives were marked by sexual immorality and lust and all this brokenness of other religions and other worldviews and, and Greek ideas that the Jews found abhorrent and disgusting and hateful. And while they even had the same core beliefs and doctrines between the Jews and the Gentiles as they came together, they practiced their faith very, very differently. They wanted nothing to do with each other. Each side was convinced the other side was wrong. They had massive differences in how they interpreted Scripture. They couldn't eat together. They couldn't celebrate together. They couldn't worship together. They hated each other. Yet Paul understood that the only way the good news of the gospel dis displays the beauty of Christ is if these two groups, who were diametrically opposed to each other, lived as one body in Christ. Jesus said it over and over again. Not just tolerating each other, 
but humbly serving and loving one another. So Paul would not allow them to act as two different bodies. He wouldn't let them create Jewish churches and Gentile churches or liberal churches and conservative churches. They had to be one in the midst of radical disagreements over food and over traditions and and ways to celebrate worship in different ways that they they dressed and, and how they interpreted scripture. They had to learn to not just operate together, but to love one another, serve together, just as Jesus had loved them. You know, a few messages in the gospel to be are more challenging than this. Yet it's so central to the message of Paul in the church. And for us, say, how quickly do we forgive when we're wronged? How frequently do we assume the worst in other people's attentions and when someone disagrees with us or we disagree with them? I mean, how frequently do we put people into categories today? You know, they said this, therefore, that means they're one of, of those people. Because they said these other things that we just immediately make assumptions about others that, man, they must be a, a racist Christian nationalist because they said such and such, or they must be some kind of progressive woke liberal because they said such and such or did such and such. And we immediately just put people into categories in different camps. Do we do that or, or do we follow Christ's example? As he says in chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain the unity of the body or the spirit in the bond of peace. Is that how we approach differences and division? Is that how we approach those people that we've written off or other believers who we feel have wronged us or when we feel gossip has occurred? Is that how we approach others when we feel attacked? Is that how we handle those with different worldviews and perspectives than ourselves? And I must say, I've been, I've been so grateful the way that, that Northview has demonstrated this over the years and walked through this, especially during the height of COVID polarizations, the way that Steve led us and the way this body responded and, and not buying into the polarization of the world. I mean, to me, there's so much that was beautiful in this body and the way we walked through some of the most challenging times that church has experienced in modern years. And we lived in the tension of seeking the best and assuming the best in others and praying for another and serving. It was beautiful. I mean, our church came through wonderfully in that regard. But Paul was speaking to these words to a church who couldn't stand the sight of each other. And so we need to be honest. Is this how we handle disagreements with one another? Or as I've often asked, is this how we approach those who sin differently than we do and and believe differently than we do? You know, we, we all sin. We're all on a journey towards Jesus, each at a different place in our journey, wrestling with, with different things. And we must come around one another, though, and lovingly point one another to Jesus to the incredible love of Christ, that we must be Jesus with skin on to one another. Yes, holding to the truth, not compromising the gospel of Jesus in any way, but do we naturally move in gentleness and humility with a posture to listen and learn to those who are different than us? Or do we fight for our perspective to be heard and for our views to be validated and why my sin is not as bad as their sin? I love how Paul gives the same message in a parallel passage. He says this in Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Paul says, be compassionate. 
Walk in kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgive one another. And then in 14, above all, put on love, which binds it all together. Jesus says over and over again that it is how well we love one another that will demonstrate him to the world around us. And the Jews must sacrificially love the Gentiles, Paul is saying. Not just when they finally agree on stuff. Not just when they finally have been like instantly sanctified and, and finally are doing it all well. But in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their pain, the beginning of their journey, not just at the end of it. He says they need to eat together and worship together and serve together amidst the differences. You know, everywhere I traveled in the world, it, it's amazing. I, I spent a lot of time traveling. Everywhere you go, people just kind of group together in whatever is the most common denominator of culture. And expats are always gathering with expats. And not just that, even within expat communities, it's, you know, it's all the, the, the Western, uh, Westerners in the expat community get together and the Africans get together. Because we all want to be around those who think like us and act like us and, and talk like us. It's a natural thing. And here in this incredibly diverse Pacific Northwest that we live, and I wanted to come here, as I've often shared, it is naturally for us to assume primarily with those who think like us and talk like us and act like us and, and believe like us. And, and let's be honest, those who sin in the same ways that we sin. And, and we all know though, that the world beyond these walls of this church does not share our values for those who are followers of Christ. And many who are coming to Christ now and even are joining into our community now don't share the same values in the same way. And, and they're coming out of radically different worldviews and radically different cultures with, with such different views of understanding the world, still trying to follow Jesus, but with a really different perspective of what that looks like because of how they've grown up and what's happened to them and their experiences. And while we here hold to the historic and orthodox teachings of Jesus and the apostles, over and over again in this letter, Paul emphasizes holding to truth, the value of truth, the necessity of truth, and we will never compromise ever on the truth of Scripture or be bent by any pressures by society or media or any way. We will hold to those things, but we must actively seek to love well those who are turning to Christ or curious. And those who have walked away from God or walked away from the church and are cautiously and, and gingerly making their way back in are curious. We must embody the humility and the grace of Christ. You know, the longer that we've walked with Jesus, that the nearer we are to him, to use Paul's language, or the more gray hairs on our head, or in many of our men's situation, no hairs at all as a result. But the nearer we are, the more weight is placed upon us and the more expectation placed upon us to put aside our differences and prejudices and love those who are far away. The nearer we are, the more mature our faith, the longer we have walked with God, the higher the calling to love those who are far away with differences of views and values, to exemplify the life of Christ to those we have deep disagreements with to gently and lovingly meet them where they are and keep pointing them to Christ. Even those whose worldviews and politics and lifestyles may offend us, that is our calling. You know, I so love this church, Northview. I'm so grateful to be here. We have such an incredible diversity of people in this body. Of every political persuasion is present here. And from those who have followed Jesus for 70 years and to those that are just beginning their journey, from those who've rarely wavered or doubted in their convictions of faith, 
to those whose journeys have been racked with doubt and pain and unbelief and have deconstructed their faith so many times that right now there are so many in our midst who are barely holding on to it or in the process of throwing it all away. There is all kinds and all types in our body, and I love the diversity. And in the Ephesian church, the Jews wanted absolutely nothing to do with the Gentile Christians. They wanted nothing to do with them. They felt that they would ruin the purity of the church, and they would mess it up with their heathen ways and their their broken worldviews. Meanwhile, the Gentiles wanted nothing to do with the Jews. They thought the Jews were just judging them from their positions of superiority and didn't understand their situation. They only cared about the law and, and not the life of the person and didn't see the Gentiles as people, but simply sinners and, and messed up. But in Christ, Paul calls them to be one body. And the same is true of us today, amen? And we must keep pursuing Jesus. As we love one another, we must keep conforming to his ways, not to ours, to his truth, not to ours or to our cultures, to his words, not to our own. And I love that God is drawing people into this community from such diverse backgrounds and places. And we get to live out here at church amongst our body the tension of this on a daily basis of loving those who are near and those who are far. And we get to worship alongside those we agree with and those we disagree with. And we get to live out being the body of Christ. That's something we get to do here, and it's a joy that we get to do that, even though it is not always easy. And that leads to, directly to the final overarching point that I want to slam as we talk about this, because to me, this is the center of it all. We've already said, chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the overarching message of this text. It's our response to the first half of the letter, to all that Christ has done for us because he's loved us so well, because we've been adopted, that through the empowering presence of his Holy Spirit, we can follow his example. We can walk in the way of love just like Jesus. We can increasingly be Jesus with skin on to the world around us. We can live and love like Jesus. And he he weaves this message constantly through the entirety of the second half of this letter and through all his other letters. And just some examples of that. Ephesians 3, he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That's the center of it. At the very foundation, that is what we are to be rooted and established in is the love of Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. A few verses later in verse 15, he says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. He literally says, we will grow to become like Jesus. And he says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love, that we are to grow more like Christ and become more like him. Verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. There it is. Forgive just like Jesus, just like him. 525, husbands, love your wives, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. In the same way that Jesus loves, we are to love. And I know I've said that about a thousand times over the last six months, live and love like Jesus. But it's our calling as the body of Christ to love Jesus and become more like him for the sake of the world. We're to practically and intentionally live and love like Jesus. We're to do that to those who are near, to those who are like us, more so to those who are far away and nothing like us. And those who are walking away and disillusioned or wounded. You know, this is our last week going through this letter of Ephesians for a little while. And 
But this message of living and living like Jesus isn't over. It's literally on almost every page of Scripture. And so for those playing at home, the, the drinking game of every time I say live and love like Jesus, don't worry, we're going to keep playing. Um, it's, we're going we're gonna to hit it over and over again. I mean, drink your grape juice, whatever it is you're, you're doing. Um, your LaCroix. Um, Paul emphasizes to everyone in the church of Ephesus, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the children, to the parents, to the slaves, to the masters, to the wives, and to the husbands, to everyone that we are called to follow Jesus' example, to live and love like him to sacrificially love one another. It's the heart of why this church exists. And it's what has marked Northview over the years. It's why we're here. It's what's exemplified in Pastor Steve's life and the way we've lived out by, the way it's been lived out by so many of those who are here who've been called to this community over the last decades. And, and it's what we must continue to press into that wherever parts of our lives are out of alignment with this, we must be open and honest, repent and come back in alignment. I just love how Paul just keeps holding up the example of Jesus to the church, saying, this is what Jesus did. Look at Jesus. This is how he loved. This is a picture of how Jesus, what Jesus looks like and how he loved. He said, this is a picture of how Jesus says marriage looks like. This is a picture of what even slavery looks like. Means means slavery will cease to exist. This is a picture of a life in Christ, holding up Jesus over and over again, saying, we must become more like that. And for us today, the challenge is for us, to constantly look at Jesus, his way of living, his way of loving, and to train ourselves, not just try harder and strive harder, but to train to become more like him. And how we parent and how we love our spouses and how we engage with coworkers and neighbors and bosses and the lost and one another in this room, how we spend our time and how we spend our money. And so we move to application. This is what we are called to do. We are not called to just talk about it. We are... But it must define who we are. It must mark who we are. Those who live in love like Jesus, who reflect Christ to the world. We are called to be Jesus with skin on, as we've talked about. At all times, to all people. As Paul says, to those who are far away from God and to those who are near. You know, during the last six months as we've gone through this letter, I've been challenged in so many ways. And, and I, I don't want to make this weird or awkward. But I, I just kind of this fundamental reality that I, I can't just share things, you know, like examples for me as a pastor that happened to me like 15 years ago and say, hey, that was terrible back then, but look how great I am now. I, I have this fundamental belief that I have to share like this week, how am I living out of my brokenness, right? Or, or this past week, where have I been walking in ways that do not reflect the love of Christ? And um, in the last few weeks and even just this week and praying through this, there's one major area that's been standing out to me. And as a lifetime missionary, I, I, I will admit, so often my focus is on those that are very far from God, right? Just, it comes with the job. In fact, Steve said that that's the reason he hired me, because a missionary, that my, my heart for the lost, and my focus on those who've walked away from their faith or have never known Jesus. And, and I'm continually spurring us to reach our neighbors and relatives and our coworkers, looking at how do we practically live in love like Jesus for the world around us. And, and not just those who have never known Jesus, but those who maybe have known him and, and walked away. And maybe they've been injured by the church or other Christians or, 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 or sometimes we call them the de-church, those who have deconstructed their faith that we are called to reach them. And those who are just barely holding on or, or in the process of throwing their faith away. And there's so many that are just missing out on God's heart. And I, I just, that's obviously my focus as, as a missionary. And so I'm the first to admit that I can often have tunnel vision and focusing on those who are, don't know Jesus, those who are far away or those who are wounded and hurting. Um, but I've been humbled in recent weeks, and this is the thing that the Lord's really been emphasizing to me the last couple of weeks, is I've heard from a number of precious people in this community, people who are very near and deep, 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 deep lovers of Jesus 
who are following Jesus with a steadfast zeal, who've, who've shared with me, they, they felt attacked by some of my messages and have felt overlooked by me as a pastor. And, I, and I've been deeply humbled. As an example, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was teaching through Ephesians chapter 5 and talking about marriage and and in my heart, I w- in my head, I was, I was specifically addressing those in situations of, of marriages that were um, deeply impacted, women who were deeply hurt by, by abusive teachings of some churches and, and extreme examples. And in that process, I, I, I was made aware that I, I didn't really spend much time looking at what healthy marriages look like and, and acknowledging the beauty of so many of the traditional healthy marriages in our midst. And I had some people tell me that they felt that, there wasn't, that, I, wasn't, uh, that I was attacking traditional marriage. That wasn't my intent at all. Most of the strongest, most loving, serving, mutually submissive competition type of marriages I know of are traditional Christian marriages that are beautiful. And I realize that I've, I, I've often just focused on, on where the lack is and on the lost and not acknowledging many who are in this body. And, you know, recently I've had others who are deep lovers of Jesus following him so beautifully. Who felt, told me that they feel like I have like an anti-American edge to my messages or that they're afraid that I may be leading Northview down some kind of, I don't know, some, some progressive path or agenda or some way. And I mentioned because I use language that specifically resonates with those who are far from God or from those who are deconstructing or walking away. And, and I just, I, I want to say, I'm sorry. I, I, the truth is, I, I'm learning as a pastor how to pastor here in America. Um, and... I've lived most of my life overseas. My perspective, my worldview have all been developed outside of the shores of America. And I just want to share that nothing in my heart, no bone in my body is anti-America or anti-anything um, that is here. Or I have no part of some liberal agenda of trying to do anything. In my heart, I, I, I'm trying to follow Paul's example, and I recognize it doesn't always come through. I'm trying to hold up that example of Jesus in all areas. And where it's in alignment, we need to celebrate. And, and when I'm recognizing is I need to probably learn to do that a whole lot more. To acknowledge the beauty that's in our midst of what God is doing. Because it's easy for me as a missionary just to focus on where we need to grow and where we've failed and, and the places we need to go to. That I focus on where we're out of alignment. But I need to be able to celebrate more and more what God is doing in our midst. And I recognize that. But then where we're out of alignment, we also have to still repent and, and move in alignment as looking at Jesus where we don't line up. We have to change our lives. But I'm recognizing I need to be more diligent as a pastor to pastor those who are near, not just those who are far away. And so I acknowledge that today, that my focus is often on those who are far away. And I tend to get a little passionate in my language. I can tend to be a little extreme and black and white, and I recognize that. And, and I just want to say I'm, I'm growing. I, I'm trying to grow in living and loving like Jesus. Not just those who are far away, but those who are near. And I know there's some here who have felt that tension. Um, and so that's, that's one of my primary takeaways. Um, it, as an application of that, I'm, I'm continuing and will continue. I've actually been, even the last couple of weeks, meeting up with a bunch of people, connecting, and just to listen. Um, I'll, some of you I, I'll probably be meeting with later and set up some meetings. I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to listen and learn how to pastor in this community and to love other people better. And I, I want to say that with complete honesty. I'm trying and I want to grow because I want to grow and live and love more like Jesus. Amen? Those who are far away and those who are near. Um, yeah, so, so, so that's my primary application. I need to grow in this. So what's your application? Where do you need to grow? As we wrap up this letter, where is God showing you that you need to move more into his ways? Where are we failing to live in love like Jesus? What group of people have we written off? 
Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone in this room. Maybe it's a relative or a son or a daughter who acts or believes or lives differently than we do. Maybe it's a coworker or boss. Maybe it's your pastor. Um, maybe there's an area where you're struggling because of people who hold different views and come from different backgrounds or you feel they're too conservative or they're too liberal. You've made assumptions. You put them into one of those categories. Maybe you find yourself easily angry or afraid of those with different views. You find yourself intentionally creating more distance of blocking people and avoiding people. It could be from the news we watch that just inundates our head with fear and division. division. But Jesus is calling us to his way of life, to live and love like him, to pursue those who see the world differently. He's calling Jews and Gentiles to sacrificially love one another. And that means Democrats and Republicans. That means Reformed Baptists and, and Charismatics. It means complementarians and Egalitarians. And it means for those that have no idea what any of those terms mean. It means those who are near and those who are far. The Jewish believers of Ephesus had to be willing to see the world through the eyes of the Gentiles, to recognize the world that they were coming out of, and not to expect the Gentiles to immediately be free of all their brokenness and experience immediate overnight sanctification, to not judge them for their brokenness and the pain of the different views that they were bringing into the church, but to walk gently with them, to point them to Jesus, to walk alongside them. And it means the church in Ephesus was really, really messy. It was filled with people coming out of insane levels of sexual brokenness and demonic practices and cultic practices, as well as legalism and piousness and pride and judgmentalism and anger. That was the church of Ephesus. So let's ask the Lord this morning, who are the people around me that I need to grow in loving well? People who, who are different than me. People who think different than me. People whose ideas and lifestyles I may find offensive or whose cultures I don't understand. Who make me uncomfortable because they're so different than me, which means I must pursue them all the more. Again, the more mature our faith, the more the weight is upon us to actively pursue those who are far away. Amen? For us to live out chapter 5, verse 1, one last time. Follow God's example as dearly loved children of God, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself as an example and a fragrant offering for us. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Looking at you, Father, and your example, it can be overwhelming because we all fail. But thank you, Lord, that your love for us is more than we could ever comprehend. We are your children. In the midst of our failures, in the midst of our feeble attempts, your love for us is overwhelming. That tidal wave that just surges of your love for us. We don't have to strive to be soldiers. We don't have to strive to know it all or to be perfect. We can experience your love. But then you call us to not stop there, but to take your love and to pour it into the world around us. To take the love that you have for us and to share it with those who do not know you, especially, and those who do, those near and those far. 
And I admit, Lord, as I've shared today, sometimes I wrestle with that too. I can so easily focus on one that I forget the other. And Jesus, may you help each of us grow. Not this week, not today. Continually, every day. And the reality of what it means to receive your love. And then to pour it into the world, Lord. To those who are near, to those who are far away. And to everyone in between. Jesus, we love you. We want to experience more of your life. In your name we pray.